Hello, hello, and welcome back to Relish the Journey. Your buddy Miles Biggs here, coming at you for another episode of the podcast. And it's a bonus episode because, folks, we are wrapping up season three of this thing already, putting a lot of work into season four, which, I've te- as I've teased before, will be different. Some might say very different than what Relish the Journey has been up until this point. We are narrowing the focus, getting more specific about which journey we are relishing, and really seriously noodling on a name change for this thing. So a lot going on in my mind that I'll be sharing with you all shortly. Hey, I love your feedback on it too. So if you've got thoughts, make sure you follow me on Instagram. It's at Miles J Biggs, M Y L E S J B I G G S on Instagram. Hit me up in those DMs and let me know your thoughts. If you're freaking out right now about a name change and tell me absolutely don't do it, I will I will take that under advisement. <laughs> but I'm excited for season four and to bring more stuff to you guys. I'm also excited about the new show I'm building called Unseen Work. So please, it would mean so much to me. If right now you search for Unseen Work where you're listening to this podcast, you hit that subscribe button, you listen to a few episodes, and you drop me a review. Those reviews actually do mean something in the world of podcasting. They help talk to the robots that run our lives with these algorithms and suggest this show to other folks so I can build my audience and and do something cool over there. So that show and what you're about to listen to is a live stream first, audio podcast second. So... When you follow me on Instagram, make sure you hit the link on the show notes here to check me out on Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube as well, where you can see these interviews live. See those people talking, not just listening to their voice, every Wednesday at 8.45 p.m. Eastern. And then the following week, following week, it hits up the Unseen Work podcast feed on the listening apps. So I'm bringing you another bonus episode to give you a taste of Unseen Work, the podcast. I hope you will join me on that show as well and stick with me as Relish Journey goes a bit of, through a bit of a metamorphosis here. Unseen work is very similar to the original idea of Relish Journey where I believe that everybody has a story to share and I wanted to capture it. Well, everyone's got some unseen work, right? We see people for very specific things, very specific accomplishments. What we don't see is what it took to get them there. And I believe we absolutely have to do the unseen work so that when we are seen, we have something to show for it, right? Right, so enough of my monologue. Check out this show, I hope you love this episode. I really enjoyed this interview with Ryan Estes, the co-founder of KitCaster. And after you listen to this, if you liked it, remember, search Unseen Work wherever you listen to your podcast, subscribe, review, send me that feedback on socials, and hopefully I see you on those live feeds every Wednesday at 8.45 p.m. Eastern. Cheers, guys. What's up, world? It's your host, Miles Biggs, and welcome to Unseen Work, where we remind you that the best path to your goals is not always a straight line. Now, I wrote the book on Unseen Work, literally, and after publishing that book and giving my TED Talk, the response to this idea of Unseen Work was so strong that I decided to double down and keep it going with this podcast. Now, each interview originally aired as a video live stream on Facebook, on YouTube, and on LinkedIn. Every Wednesday at 8.45 p.m. Eastern, I hop on that video stream and I interview people from around the world 
who are seen for something. They're successful in their own right. They've accomplished something monumental, but we don't really talk about that. We talk about the unseen work, the days in the trenches, the sleepless nights, what it took to get them there, and how it made them who they are today so that they're able to be seen as they are. I'm always so amped up after these interviews. I walk away with so many tactics and frameworks that I can implement in my own unseen work so that I can continue to level up all of my endeavors. And my hope in publishing this as a podcast to reach more people is that you listen to these episodes and feel the exact same way. Remember, we have to do this unseen work so that when we are seen, we have something to show for it. All right, let's get to work. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Unseen Work, where we remind you that you have to do the unseen work so that when you are seen, you have something to show for it. Super excited for our conversation. This evening, we are joined by Mr. Ryan Estes. He is the co-founder at Kitcaster, which I love because they make it really easy for guys with microphones like me to get awesome guests on our podcast. We'll talk to them all about Kitcaster, how it works, and why he decided to start it, how he decided to start it, all the things, right? But he's also podcast host of his own with the show Talk Launch. And he refers to himself as an American Buddhist entrepreneur, which I'm very interested in unpacking that phrase, which I have not seen before. So please join me in welcoming to the show, drumroll, Mr. Ryan Estes. Here he is. Nice to have you. Thanks, Miles. I really appreciate being here. Thank you so much. Yeah, so why don't we start? with Kitcaster, right? I I love it. I've used it. And I was excited to get to talk to you as the guy who co-founded it. For, for folks who haven't heard of this, give us your elevator spiel. What is Kitcaster? Sure. So Kitcaster is a podcast booking agency. Um, we book entrepreneurs on top podcasts like this one. Um, you know, Typically, we're working with funded startup founders, uh, entrepreneurs with exits, and C-suite executives, and we booked them on the world's top podcast. So where did that start? Why did that start, right? Like you just fell, hit your head one day and said, I'm going to help people get booked on podcasts. Or like what was the, like, well, how did it start? So I started podcasting like maybe nine or 10 years ago. Um and I've had a bunch of different shows. Probably my biggest show was called the Denver Business Podcast. And I'd, I'd interview entrepreneurs um, and find out, you know, how they validate their idea, how they find traction, um, how they scale their business and just loved it. I, I had probably 300 different episodes with different founders. Um, that show kind of went national and, it, you know, kind of rebranded as the Talk Launch Podcast and just loved it. Uh, as a result of doing that podcast, I met uh, a gal named Brandy Whalen, who has been kind of a uh, kind of heavy hitter in PR in Denver. And we clicked, you know, she was great. And she'd bring me her clients and we'd talk and, you know, we were sitting down for breakfast and she's like, hey, what's going on? We should do a project together. And I love that spirit because, you know, I, in addition to doing the podcast, I was an entrepreneur. And always had something cooking, you know, kind of working through ideas, validating different ideas. And I was like, you know, well, we met through podcasting and I'd, I'd love to do a podcast project. We started thinking about different areas of podcasting that we could um, be effective, you know, and create a meaningful business, but also scale, you know. 
and kind of we threw around some different ideas and came to this idea of a booking agency. And we kind of took a, a, a look at the, the terrain and said, you know, I think particularly where, where we work, which is with startup culture, you know, this would be a, a great idea. And so we set about to kind of validate the idea. You know, I'm, I've, I've had enough bad ideas that I know I need to like <laughs> make sure that it's going gonna, it's gonna to stick. You know, so we put together a pilot program that went off great. And um, we wrapped a brand around it and hit it. So, you know, that we, we officially launched in September of 2019 um, with kind of the idea, you know, the, the kind of traction we found early on. I was like, okay, by March, I'll kind of move out of my marketing agency, which is kind of my main bread and butter as I was validating different products and go full time in Kitcaster. Well, March 2020, obviously everything went shut down. Right. My, my marketing agency went belly up. We were pretty heavily leveraged in um, hospitality and food and beverage. And, you know, we, we lost 17, 18 clients in one day. Wow. So basically Kitcaster was there to, to catch me, you know. And so Brandy and I, you know, same thing happened with her PR firm, you know. So we kind of looked at each other like, well, let's do this. <laughs> And, um, you know, through, through COVID, one thing we found is that like podcasts gave entrepreneurs, founders in particular, a, a, an opportunity to lead from their bedroom, right. you know, while they, their, their sales team and their marketing team is, is all dispersed and everyone was doing something, um, and working hard towards their goal, the way they could really lead is with podcasting. So we, f we found some fertile ground and we, we kind of ran with it. So, you know, flash forward a year, our business is up, you know, 250%. Um, you know, since last December, we've hired nine people and, you know, it's, uh, it's just kind of taken off, you know. So it, it's been a, a crazy kind of <laughs> ride. Everyone's had a really weird year and some really challenging moments. But I'm very, very happy to be working in podcasting with something that I, I love so much. So it's been great. Yeah, isn't it interesting, right? The pandemic was really bad for so many things, for so many people. But when it came to podcasting, it's like it was like gas on a fire, right? Yeah. It was accelerated people's acceptance of it, people jumping into it. And then for those of us that were in it, if you already had that footprint established, it was really that chance just to double down and just expand. You know, I, I was doing a podcast for the marketing agency I worked for at the time, and we went from one a week to one a day. Yeah. for our podcast just like what's going on because everything was changing and it was great to keep in touch with our clients show that we were still there we weren't scared we weren't hiding right and like you said lead from the bedroom or attic or wherever we're all working right 100 uh, it's it was just been interesting to watch and so from your seat working with podcasters and getting guests booked right you, you could get like this huge macro view of it all what do you think was the biggest change that came to podcasts with the pandemic you know, it's so interesting. The biggest change to podcasting. So what was kind of interesting is podcasting seen a 7% rise for years and years and years. It's just been on this uptick as far as like downloads and listens. And particularly in the early months of, you know, quarantine, it kind of went flat, you know, because people weren't listening on their commute. People weren't going to the gym. So right. the listenership kind of was, was flat you know, kind of for the first time ever. So it, can you hear that? No, what is it? I should probably close that door. There, there's, 
there's some people having a heated argument right outside. No, no, I can't hear it at all. You're good. <laughs> okay, cool. So I can make great content though. Bring the mic over. Yeah, you know, the homeless situation in metropolitan areas right now is is interesting. Um sure. challenging. Um so you know, statistically podcasting kind of flattened out but what's interesting also is the number of podcasts spiked in a massively dramatic way so it became an opportunity for people to get outside of their homes it gave it gave people an opportunity to express themselves you know and for what i'm interested in which is interview based podcasts it gave an opportunity for people to connect again right. you know what's kind of it's what june 2nd 2021 right now and now we're in this weird vanilla stage of reopening where you go into stores, some people have masks, some people don't. We're trying to figure out how to talk to each other again, you know, but um, when, when we were all sequestered in our homes for three or four months, you know, it was, it was a way that we could, we could connect, you know? And so you saw a massive spike in the medium, you know, and, and we know statistically that most people are going to pod drift. Those podcasts are going to go away, but um, it, it, it was, it helped me, you know, and like in my little heart to, to know that like people are using this medium to, to connect in a meaningful way with conversation. So, you know, um, now numbers are stabilizing again, people are going up, but particularly where, where we play, where Kitcaster plays, which is kind of the business categories, you know, people turn to podcast as a resource to find out the tools, um, the tips and tricks that they could be using, particularly right then when everybody's business was like, I mean, what's going to happen? You know, right. it, was, it was really scary. So it became kind of a trusted resource and, and uh, we were happy to kind of help provide some, some uh, uh, at least some great guests to talk about their insights on what was happening. Right. Yeah, it is. I have found, so I found like live streaming during the pandemic. I've been podcasting for three years, but it was audio only. Then I finally got wrangled into doing the video thing with a buddy of mine. And I co-hosted a show with him for, for the whole year of 2020. Listen to this. He was crazy enough to say on the pandemic hit that he was going to go live six days a week for an entire year. <laughs> did he and he did it. it. Wow. And he did it. And he built a whole business around it now where he left mm. his job and he's on a road trip across the country right now taking his life like because no one was doing it and he was in the construction industry shout out dave cooper if you're watching this uh so he's dave cooper live but he saw the opportunity he just went for it and so i was he did six different shows a different like theme show <laughs> six of the seven days and i co-hosted one with him so that got me into this and that opened up my podcasting world but what i'm grateful for is i never lost this right like i still talked to people yeah. Even though I was in my house. And so I'm one of the weird people that like still knows how to have a conversation with someone, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. I didn't just stare at my wall for a year. Uh, and that's all thanks to podcasting, which is cool. It's unbelievably cool. And I'm, I'm kind of corny about podcasting. I, I think it's like in a, a very important thing. You know, um, one thing we also learned over this year is kind of like the innate toxicity of social media. Yeah. Uh, people sniping at each other and, and it's it's kind of way i mean social media and the internet has kind of like a a rhythm to itself um that it it polarizes people to the the extreme end of of their belief structure and it isolates them with with like-minded people that are not necessarily 
kindred spirits, but rather maybe they're experimenting online with a persona that um, finds likes and comments when they're, when they're at the extreme spectrum, you know, and I don't think that that's necessarily a a great human characteristic. I, I, the, the human characteristics that really inspire me is, is our opportunity to extend the olive branch to, to meet in the middle. And you always get that when you meet somebody in face to face or in a conversation that you might overlook some of those red flags to look for a spot where you guys kind of bond. And then that's where the conversation develops is where there's common ground and podcasting provides that, you know, and, and so I, I love the proliferation of, of of the, the platform and and everything that that, the direction it's going, I think it's positive one. Yeah, what you're saying about social media brings back the word you were saying, like every third word it felt like in the beginning there, validating, right? So yeah. validating ideas, people feel validated in their remarks with that, whether it's good or bad through social uh, and through the, the yeah. podcast communities, right? Yeah, absolutely. Instead of like facial expressions, like, you know, you when you're talking to somebody, especially with video podcasts is great because I can kind of see you nodding along when you agree or I can see a, like... Right. Or you <laughs> see if I just with- start doing this and I'm like... <laughs> Like, oh, what does this yeah. guy say? <laughs> totally. You get those social cues. Um, yeah. The validation in, in in social media can can sometimes not not just be positive. You know, you can be seeking validation. You know, in some troll capacity, and there's an art form to trolling, which I also appreciate. But but as a net positive for humanity, I, I don't think <laughs> I don't think that's the way. You know. Yeah. I, yeah, I think, I'd have to I think earnest, that. genuine communication is a much better path for us if we're gonna if we're gonna devote our time. And obviously, we only have so much. So sure. Yeah. So along this theme of validated, right? So you, you talk about validating ideas, which I love that phrase. It's becoming more and more prevalent with how much data we have available to us, right? Where you can actually like know why an idea worked and it can be validated in something other than like your idea. So I'm curious to hear though, with this being unseen work, you're obviously very successful. You've done a lot of great things. You validated a lot of ideas, but when it comes to ideas that were not validated, uh, potential failures from your past, right? That you learned from eventually uh, and helped you validate some new ideas. I'd love to hear about that. Like what's a Ryan Estes unvalidated idea? Something that didn't work out. Oh boy, there's a lot of them. (laughs) I call these by the way, and I talk about failure, I talk about flips. So F-L-I-P, which is fail, learn, improvise, pivot. Yeah. So that would be like you didn't validate it, but eventually you did learn something from it and you're able to pivot into something else. Where you got the flop, the quintessential face down in the mud, like it did not work. You failed. You obsessed about the fact that you didn't work. You lied to yourself and you just pretend it didn't happen, right? You just kind of like shove it under the rug and and try to move on. So Love to hear an example of both if you have one or you can pick one. You want to talk about a flip or a flop, but it, it wasn't validated. It didn't work. 100%. I love these acronyms. You know, a flop is is probably your first couple of bad ideas. And I, actually, bad ideas is not the way I want to talk about it. It's just a way that it's, it's not the right time. It doesn't have product market, market fit. And what you learn from a flop is that you could probably see the writing on the wall six months, 12 months, 18 months in advance. But one thing that as entrepreneurs we do is we identify as an entrepreneur and with the project that we're working on. So if the idea you're working on fails, that means you're a failure. 
Um, and everybody has to go through that. So the, the, the best thing that might be able to happen to you as an entrepreneur is have a couple failures under your belt. So you understand what that feels like. You know, if you come right out of the gate with like a, a smoking hot idea that shoots to the roof, that flop is coming. Every business has a birth, a life and a death, you know? And so, you know, if you haven't had a death yet and you've had a lot of success, it's going to hurt you, um, personally. So through a couple of flops, you know, you start to realize like, Hey, I, I don't necessarily need to identify a hundred percent with this idea. Um, I can identify with it deeply because that means I'm connected to this idea and I wanted to succeed, but also like I, I can take what I learn from the flip and run with it. So <clears throat> an example, so I had built a crowdfunding platform. Um, one thing that my marketing agency did really well was crowdfunding. Um, we raised, you know, 3 million plus for a dozen different products on Kickstarter and Indiegogo and, and did it really well, you know, through, through different techniques. Um, and I love the spirit of that. I, I think it's, it's great. Cause again, we're talking about validation and, you know, you're able to take something to Kickstarter and be like, Hey, is there an audience for this? Hell yeah, there is. So let's build and give it to them. But if there isn't, you know, you're out of a little bit of money, maybe tens of thousands of dollars. Um, you're out of a lot of time, which is much more expensive than that. But at least you learned that they don't want it right now. So taking that idea, I created a crowdfunding platform called Career Funded. And the idea was to take kind of blue collar service industry and give them the benefits that um, crowdfunding has largely for consumer goods. So that might basically what it was, was taking their product, which is a service, productizing their service so they could pre-sell it. So let's say you're a house painter and you've got a crew of two guys, you got two vans in order to grow. You need another 20 K so you can get another van and a sprayer and like, and hire a couple more people. Well, you know, working for all of us, I mean, and, and working folks in particular, like cash flow is, is, is difficult getting 20 K from a bank. You might as well rob the bank. You know, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard sure. thing. So I wanted to create a platform where they could pre-sell their service. I will paint your house in September in order, but what I want you to do is um, uh, send me the, the capital now so that I can make the capital investments in my business so we can serve more people, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it was great. And, and we, we did that. We, the platform was successful. We had I don't, maybe 17, 18 successful campaigns um, and then kind of came to a point where it was like, man, this is actually not going to work. <laughs> and, and what, was that? what made you realize that? What was the moment after 18 successes? Why the realization? They were successes because I personally attended to every single one, you know, and you realize that like this kind of level um, uh, of care cannot scale. It, it just simply can't. The reason why Kickstarter and Indiegogo campaigns are successful is because people have uh, a very savvy and sophisticated um, understanding of digital marketing and they have a budget behind them. If you don't have that, and maybe like you're working out of your phone, you know, um, it's going to be much more difficult and you're going to need kind of a um, a concierge to help you through that. Sure. And kind of, I worked on different ways that we could 
hire concierge and, and kind of work through that. But the numbers didn't work at that time. Now, this is probably when I finally kind of put a dagger in that. It might have been 2018, 2019. And, you know, and then, and then pandemic hits, right? Yeah. And in my Facebook feed, I see, you know, my stylist or my barber, you know, all these different folks saying, hey, if you if you pay me for the next six haircuts, um, I'll give you a deal. And that way, you know, I can put food on my plate while we're all locked down and I can't do it. And I was just looking at that and I was like, dude, if career funded was still alive right now <laughs> and we cracked the code, um, it would have been gigantic because all of those you know first line responders or construction folks or the house cleaners or the tattoo artists or all the people that work one-on-one -on -one in the field and they needed a way to to raise money because you know the ppp loans that wasn't coming you know there was there was no safety net for them they're used to working you know time and materials you know and if they had a pat platform they could have gone to to pre-sell their service to the people that that loved them um I really wish it would have been there. I mean, of course, I wish I would have made a tasty profit. Um, but I also think that like the spirit of the thing was was in the right place, you know. So it's an example of something that I flipped and I had to come to terms with it because I really love the product and was like, you know, this this just isn't working. And it wasn't that it was a bad idea. It was just the wrong timing by like 12 months. Right. You it's know? amazing how how huge timing like that it's everything right like yeah. timing plays a huge role and either like like it syncs up perfectly and it was still there and you could have taken advantage or even just the timing of who you are in that moment based on previous experiences like what you had to do to for you to be prepared when that time came right yeah. this is unrelated to career funded but i was thinking about this with peloton so i have a peloton bike and I love it. I'm mildly obsessed. I'm 100% in the cult, right? I'm, I'm all there. <laughs> it's always kind of a confession when you're like, I yeah, got a Peloton, I it, right? It's, I love it. Yeah, I like it. I wake up before <laughs> yeah. I am, I ride the bike. I feel good about myself. So it's, it's good. Great. Um, but you think about the, the everybody I see on that screen fits my idea of unseen work, right? They didn't just wake up one day and say, well, I guess I'll go talk to these Peloton people and get on you know, TV and lead a spin class. Like there's years and years of them building a physical fitness, doing other things, running spin classes when it wasn't like the cool thing to do so that when the moment arrived, they were ready to step, raise their hand and say, yeah, put me in. Right. Yeah. Um, and I mean, geez, even I, so this is my goal, Ryan. If you know anybody that's a Peloton instructor, you can help me. I want to interview someone that's a Peloton instructor while I'm on my Peloton and do the interview <laughs> while I'm riding my bikes. I think one, it'd be hilarious. And two, I want to see if I can actually have a conversation while I'm riding my bike like they can, because I think that's the most impressive thing that they they're that fit that they full blown talk to you while busting their butt. It's crazy. It's like hot ones, but only for spinning. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Okay. So if you know anybody, let me know. Raise the flag. All right, we'll find him. We'll find him for sure. <laughs> but but that's huge, right? Like it's so. I'm curious for you then again, like digging into your unseen work. Like you had to have so many of these different experiences that led you to be in podcasting nine years ago before everybody and their brother had a podcast, right? Like uh, I, know, I saw on your LinkedIn, you have a music background. You, that was your degree. So like when you look back on all of these crazy life moments that are probably seem unconnected, like by themselves, but now you can see how it wove together to get you where you're sitting today. 
what's some of that stuff you think? Some of those things that allowed you to be prepared when your right time came. You know, with podcasting specifically, it was the camaraderie that originally brought me to it. You know, when my kids were very young and they're both in middle school, my daughter's going to be in high school next year. Um, you know, when they're very young, I, I had to take a, a real look at my career in rock and roll. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily the fulcrum of commerce. And I, I wasn't willing to, to grind it out on the road um, and, and do that. I wanted to be with my kids you know? And so I put a dagger in my music career. And so and you were to, to stop on that. You were touring, you were touring musician. Yeah. I released three records, um, That's cool. touring musician. Uh, it, it was waning, you know, after three records and nothing really happening, no record deals are independently released. You know, you, you start to see like, you know, people don't really like what I'm putting out there. <laughs> You know, another validation that you learned, right? Yeah, your and that's, a, yeah. that's a real hard one. I mean, when you write that many songs and, you know, and people don't really like it, um, that is a part of your identity and persona that like it is hard, you know, but that's 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 how it builds on entrepreneur. If I'm building some SaaS platform and they don't like it, it's like that doesn't mean anything to something in comparison to writing some song that I poured my entire soul into sure. <laughs> And people were like, Meh, I don't like it, you know. So, so kind of learning that at a at an early stage. So anyway, you know, I I do have a tendency that when I turn my back on something, man, it's done, you know. And I move in a different direction. And that was very very hard with music because I love music so much. Um, so so when I did that, what I realized is one, I, I missed the music. But but really what I really missed was the brotherhood of the dudes in my band, you know. And sure. so my first podcast was called Eighth Grade Ball. And it was maybe, you know, six months after the band broke up and I, you know, discontinued the band. And I just called everybody. I'm like, hey, man, I'm doing a podcast. And what we're going to do is we're just going to talk shit and hang out like band practice. And And they're like, what's a podcast? I was like, I don't know, but... We're just going to hang out and record our conversations like, okay. And so I started doing that, you know, and that helped, that helped kind of salve that wound of losing music, but, but being able to retain those relationships and the things that, that I really liked, you know, clubs and like getting paid and like all that stuff is like very stressful and it, it burned me out and I was happy to, to be done with that. But I really missed that brotherhood and fellowship, you know, so podcasting was that spot for me, you know. And, and I, I think that's just what I realized is that like, you know, I, I am a per people person and like, this is an opportunity for me to connect. Yeah. That's awesome. So do you start, are they still out there? Like, can you go every go listen to your like original podcast and just completely cringe at yourself or are they off the listening apps at this point? They're gone. <laughs> They're gone. I don't know if you remember, it's a long time ago, but like Libsyn had a great purge. And I moved my all my podcasts from Libsyn to Spreaker, which is where I, I still host. I, I originally went with them because they had life capabilities, but I lost so many of those podcasts, um, which is great because really it was probably just a, a drunken laughing mess. <laughs> but it was great. It was a wonderful thing to do with my friends. And actually, like yeah. that podcast was really popular. 
<laughs> Oddly enough, of all the other podcasts I've done, that one was was a pretty big show. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, probably because it people felt that camaraderie too, right? That's what people connect with when it just feels like it's real people. You you can imagine yourself in the room, shoot the shit with them, like you know, it's your buddies, and then you you grab onto those personalities, and it makes you want to keep listening. Yeah, totally. And it was just irreverent and you know it was a different internet back then it really was you know you could you could be you could be silly and it wasn't like you're representing yourself you know <laughs> not so. get canceled after something <laughs> yeah. you say in a podcast yeah exactly you could uh, you, nobody would find you it was just ridiculous you know so different world but but a wonderful time you know and I, i'm so grateful for that and who would have known you know who would have known that like podcasting would be the thing that got me through the pandemic you know so pretty cool right that is really cool yeah. yeah that it was just like it was like a safety net you had built and you didn't know you needed it right and then when everything fell out you just were thankful that it was there to catch you 100 percent. when i podcast was podcasting was so old hat to me i'd been doing it for so long it was just like how oh, podcasting still like to me it was just like it was over and done almost, you know what sure. I mean? I, of course I saw like the meteoric rise and like all the numbers, but it's like, ah, it, it was so ingrained in, in everything I was doing that it seemed so obvious, like, oh, not podcasting. I mean, that, I, but you know, it's the thing right underneath your nose. And maybe what I really take away is, is I just wasn't brave enough to admit that like, this is what I really want to do. You know, this is really important to me. Um, maybe it was those experiences where I'd put myself into the project and it didn't work. <laughs> I didn't want to have that be podcasting because it was important to me. And the, the second you make something work, right, it, it kind of sucks. It kind of knocks that yeah. like beautiful patina off it. Um, and maybe just subconsciously, I didn't want that to happen to podcasting. Um, but I, I'm glad it, it worked out for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, I've sort of had a similar thought recently where, this was the thing I started because I liked it. It was a hobby. And then I changed up careers. I used to work for a housing manufacturer and I was, I was running manufacturing plants. And then I got back into marketing, worked for a marketing agency. And I like pee at the brain. I'm like, hey, this thing I do upstairs in my house from 10 p.m. to midnight, like could actually work here during my day job. You know, like we should do this. And the next thing you know, we had a podcast for the agency. We were doing podcasts for clients. And it was like, I was the podcast guy. Uh, and now I'm in a new agency and I'm doing it all over again, starting a new show. And I had to stop and like laugh to myself where it's like, I was on YouTube just teaching myself how all this works for a hobby and I get paid to do it. And I forget sometimes that not everybody knows it. Like you said, it just becomes like, oh yeah, you do this, you do that with the thing and the thing does this and it, there you go, you have a podcast. And people are like, at what? Right? It's, <laughs> It's, uh, it's, it's hard great. to like appreciate your own knowledge that you've curated over the years because yeah. you get used to it yourself. Yeah. And that it's no joke. There's a lot of moving parts in podcasting, Yeah, which is why I really took a special idea to get me off the bench because I knew it's like, we're, we're going to produce podcasts for other people. You know, it's like, you know, you better have a hundred grand in order for me to get excited about that project with 17 cooks in the kitchen and every, you know, it's like, yeah mics and videos and in all these things and publishing and promoting it's it's a lot of work you know so you know the fact that you've been able to make it work and make it work profitably is man amazing 
It's yeah, very cool. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's like sometimes I have to pinch myself, like you said. Like it becomes fun again. You go through that moment where it's like, oh, it's not just my hobby; it's work. Want, want, want. You're like, wait a second, I get paid to do this again, right? And it's like, this is awesome. Yeah. And then you're you're back loving it again and figure out a way to fall in love, you know, all over. Totally. Yeah. So curious, something you said earlier um, about the validating and, you know, interviewing and everything that went into Kickcaster, right? Um, you made this offhanded thing that was just like, we wrapped it in a brand and we went. Uh, <laughs> which talking about moving parts and pieces, like mm. very understated that you just wrapped it in a brand, waved your magic wand and it was gone. So yeah, uh, something I've been curious since the moment I had got an email in my inbox from one of your booking agents pitching me somebody for my show. It's like, what the hell is Kitcaster? Why is there a Fox? Like, what is this brand? So I'm curious about the unseen work that went into that. Like the process in the room that's like, you know what? I got it, Kitcaster, and it's a fox. And here you go. Yeah, it's not a very romantic story. Um, also, from my experience from music, it's like you get five dudes together. You're like, what are we going to name the band? If you don't name that band that night, you're done. You're never going to name it, you know? <laughs> and sure. I've done a lot of branding projects, you know? What you need is to get it out of there. You need to get past it, particularly in the beginning, because it doesn't matter. A lot of people are going to be hung up on what's our font, what's our color, what's this, what's that. It's like, dude, this is not the question. The question you need to answer is like, will people pay you money for this? So I'll answer that question before I have a brand. Once I have kind of an indication that like there's a, there's a vein here, then I'm going to put a brand around that before I think about it. Because if I think about it too much, my brain is the enemy, you sure. know? So I'm thinking about podcasting. So I'm like casting, casting. I like that hard consonant sound. I want two hard consonants to each other. So it's like call casting, kid got a kit casting, like kit casting. I like kit. Kit has a double entendre. One, it's like a thing that pulls things together. Like a kit is great. And then it has opportunity for a baby fox, which is a kit fox. Like that would be a great mascot. So kit fox, kit caster, kit cat. It has a snappiness to it. And that's how it happened that fast. And I was like, it's called kit caster. This is what we're going to do. We're going to put it together. I pulled uh, a color palette because I wanted a gradient for it. Um, quickly came up with the logo. The, the logo is great because if people want to check out kitcaster.com you'll see like a little fox face in there and it's a big smiling baby fox um what was really important to me about the brand is that it um it had a sense of joy uh that i feel about podcasting and also to to set a tone for the business which is kind of like a little mantra we have which is like there are no podcast emergencies Be because that. because there just aren't right <laughs> you know so, you know, our, our business is all based on other people's schedules, particularly like millionaires that are not used to, to people telling them where to be. And there's an innate stress and pressure in that. Um, the, the release valve to that is the fact that there are no podcast emergencies and we will do everything to take care of our, our clients. So I wanted, it was important to me that the brand had a spirit of friendliness, of, uh, uh, of joy and of excitement because I think that's a, a one of the best returns that you can get from going on other people's podcasts. 
Yeah. hundred percent. And it's what you love about it. Right. So make sure that it makes sense that that's what you wanted to replicate with the, with the brand. hundred percent. Totally, man. And it's funny. I'm just picturing you like a beautiful mind, just like scribbling things on a, <laughs> on a window. I'm just like, hey, Caster, I got it. Oh, dude, I, I've, uh, when when I'm putting together the brand, I like literally, it's like I'll almost set a clock. It's like, we're not going to think about this too hard. We're going to put together something logically that's going to be snappy and seems good at the tip of the tongue. I'll ask three people if they think it sounds cool. If they're like, yes, that's it, done. Because otherwise I'll be done. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's an interesting theme you keep bringing up is this idea of like emotion and like not falling in love with your idea too much. Like, and, and like you can't separate yourself from the ability to validate it and even that and here it's like just rely on the emotion don't overthink it like will people buy it like does your gut say i think that sounds cool and then just go with it because it is cool you don't have to make it something it doesn't need to be right yeah so how do you how do you separate that or how do you know when to rely on emotion and not use your brain like with the branding and when you have to say emotion has to take a back seat because this, the numbers just aren't going to work. I have to put a dagger in it. Like you said. Yeah. You know, and this might tie into kind of the stuff, the, the line I put in, in that, in the bio, which is considering myself an American Buddhist, which I think being an American Buddhist is an interesting qualifier. Um, but Buddhism being a religion, some may say it's not, but there is a morality play in there. And I think that morality play is, is important for me, particularly when it pertains to work, which is right livelihood, like uh, working in a way that is nurturative to your spirit. <laughs> sure. so, so I have some opinions about that. Um, but largely, uh, the technology of Buddhism is in the mental techniques and becoming aware that the narrative in your brain is not you. It's a component of you, um, but it's not who you are. Um, and, you know, I've had, you know, certain experiences through contemplative practices that um, I don't necessarily trust my brain. I don't necessarily think that thinking is probably the best for any situation. And I might go on a limb to say that thinking is the worst thing you could do 99.9% .9 of the time. You know, so what I want to do is is create a fluidity of movement. Um, but what I also want to do as it pertains to work is to be able to create a box around work um, that I can put down. You know, I can say work is complete because the, the reason I work is I want to be as whole and complete of a father and a husband when I go home, that I'm not opening up my laptop. Like I'm completely engaged in what's happening between 5 to 10 p.m. And I can sleep, wake up, pick up all my work again, run really hard, really hard with my work, but then put it back down. Um, and it's one thing, you know, there's a practice component of that. I think that where kind of Buddhist technology kind of helps you out of like creating practice around your work. Um, and there's a discipline of actually doing it. It's a thing that you do. You know, sure. and so and so that's become kind of like instrumental too in in the way that I, I work as as an entrepreneur and and the expectations I have myself as being a good dad and husband. You know, yeah, I've never heard it called a Buddhist technology before. That's interesting. Can you expand on that? Like, where does that where does it come in as a technology versus like a mindset or like a way of thinking or a belief? 
Sure. Um, it's productive for me to think about Buddhism as a technology because I'm kind of neutral in feeling about technology. It's you. It's it's helpful for me to think Christianity as a technology or any kind of faith structure as a technology because with any kind of like belief system you have kind of a, a tribalism and a schism within that tribe and you have all of these identity components that throw up um, walls around who you are if if i think about it as a technology then i can kind of be agnostic to those schisms and i can kind of dabble a little bit um, the, the, the sacrifice you make then is you're never really a adherent believer to any one particular thing. You know, I've, I've gone to all the schools of <laughs> Buddhism in, in Colorado and been like, Hey man, this is what I'm thinking. What do you guys have for me? And you know what they all said? You should probably stick with our thing. <laughs> it's like, of course you would say that. Sure. You know, so for me to thinking about like mental techniques as a technology probably creates a healthy distance for me of wanting to align myself um, in my identity too far to somebody else's uh, thoughts and opinions, you know. So, so for me, all of the religions have been great teachers, but particularly, you know, um, the, the shamanic traditions or the entheogenic plant medicine traditions of direct experience where there's not necessarily anything to believe. If you're talking about plant medicines, there's also kind of a uh, non-consensual component to that, <laughs> that you kind of go on a ride, you know. Um, but I also feel like that that's very innate in Buddhism as well, which is like if you do the work and have those experiences within it, it's it's a thing you do. It's not a thing. It's not something to believe. So sure. so it's just helpful to me to think about um, any kind of like uh, practice as a technology. Yeah. When you say technology and the way you describe it, like it's a thing you do. It makes me think of like my phone as a piece of technology, right? It's a thing I use. It's a tool that I use to help me accomplish something. So in that way, it's kind of like that. This is a tool you use to separate work and life and all the balance portions you said versus it becoming like, I am a Buddhist and this is what I believe or, you know, insert whatever. Hell, I'm a Republican. I'm <laughs> a Democrat, right? And going back to the social media craziness that we talked about earlier, it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of people could benefit from adopting thought process that way I, I think a lot of people's identities yeah. are wrapped up and what you said i think the key phrase is other people's beliefs right versus yeah. theirs which is interesting it's it's a it's a tough thing to sell because the fact is is that these tribes are very nurturing and it's a it's a critical stage of human development you know if you're like i'm a buddhist you can tell because i have a thumb ring and i'm wearing birkenstocks and i have a salt and pepper ponytail and a free to bet nice. sticker on my car my Subaru, excuse me, and my burlap NPR bag is right underneath me. Like, so you belong to something and people are under, able to understand those cues or you're like, I am the guy that has flags on my truck and I have, you know, a thin blue line sticker and you're, you can quickly like have these social cues and in virtue signaling to do that. Yeah. And it's a very, it's a, it, you cannot skip that step. You know, you as a human, if you're lucky enough to 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 value and um, and have love for yourself, hats off to you. If you're able to like extend that to people around you, usually like your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, 
hats off to you. If you're able to create a tribe around that, which is usually uh, precipitated by having a child and then realizing there's other people that like ascribe to your beliefs. Great. You know, and culturally, maybe that's where we are is like people are able to understand their tribe. Um, but one tribe always exists in comparison to another. You know, at some right. point you look over the, 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 the fence at the other tribe and you're like, wow, they're just like me. You know, only they have Birkenstocks on or whatever. <laughs> you know, they have an right. F-250, but they're so similar to me. And so then you're able to extend your care and compassion to, to those people. And then once you have that, then you're able to see the whole thing. And then you have an integral picture. So human development has to go through each of these stages um, in order to to reach kind of an integral kind of understanding of how everything works together. The problem is, is that the tribal <laughs> understanding is very black and white and it's it's yeah. nice to have a villain. It's nice to have good. It's nice to have black and white. Um, but once you move outside of tribal affiliations, everything goes gray and you realize that your enemies are just like you and everybody's just like you and nobody really knows what they're doing. And that's terrifying. You know? Yeah. So. Or like, I found it to be freeing because taking this whole back to like podcasting and I'm really like totally like having a bromance over podcasts in this interview, but that's what podcasting <laughs> has taught me. Right. It's like, it's introduced me to all that gray because every yeah. person I talk to, I get introduced to the way they think what they've been through. And you start to realize, Oh, wait a second, this person I put up in a pedestal or associated with this other tribe or whatever, when we took the fence down and just had a conversation, we had so much more in common than I thought. And you, uh, you do that again and again and again. And after a few hundred episodes, you're like, Oh my gosh, everybody, nobody knows what they're doing. Everybody's got the same insecurities. They've all had the similar sort of, you know, point where they decided to do or not do something. Right. And and then it kind of it forces you to rethink all those things that you, you those whatever you call it, like identities I guess right is a probably a good thing that, that you were putting on yourself and that it can be scary but I think once you lean into it it's it's fun then uh, I get a real kick out of it it's the best yeah it's the best I mean and podcasting is perfect for that because you can experiment with different thought processes you can listen yeah. to somebody completely different to you and maybe the only thing you like can connect about is you both like cheeseburgers but dang you both like cheeseburgers <laughs> you, you know and so you start to real you see the similarities you know um and it, it breaks down some of those walls and once some of those walls are broke down then you start to see like how much of my identity is really just a tribal identity you know and it, it might be all of it and actually it's all of it, <laughs> which sure. is, you know, which is why you realize that like everything I espouse, I mean, I'm talking about this like kind of forward momentum of human, um, human development, like it's mine. It's not, that's Ken Wilbur, you know, that's a dude I love and I've digested it and then brought it back on this podcast. But like I'm adopting his thought process and expressing it here to try and find some, 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 uh, some truth as I say it in real time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that you know, happens to me all, all the time. I'll be like yeah. saying something in a, in a podcast and I have no idea where it came from. And I'm like, Hey, that was good. I just learned yeah. something about myself in this interview. Well, cool. in the, the great podcaster, you know, Sam Harris, you know, and his whole objection of like why we don't have free will is completely based on that. It's completely based on the fact that we show up to this podcast and I just start talking and I have no idea how the sentence is going to end. And yet it does. Where does it come from? Who knows? 
you know, so there's like a fun, mysterious thing. And then there's like a real practical, like, no, man, I want to talk to miles and, 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 uh, go on this podcast and, and have a new experience. So, you know, podcasting does this for us. And again, like I'm corny about podcasting. I think this is important. I think it's important to like touch as many people in different tribal identities as possible, not in the hopes that you break yours down. I think it's it's awesome if people have a, a strong tribal identity. I just think it's also awesome if they appreciate other people's, you know, and yeah. I think podcasting gives us that opportunity. Business gives us that opportunity. Um, and it's exciting, you know, it makes it fun. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to I'm going to end it here because I feel like if I keep going, we'll be down this, <laughs> this rabbit hole for hours and hours and hours. Go pour some I appreciate scotch. you coming on the show. This has been a lot of fun. You mentioned it earlier, but let's mention it again. People can find you at it's kidcaster.com, right? Anywhere else we want to direct folks? Kidcaster is a great place to start. That's a good place to go. Awesome. Well, everybody head over there, check out what Ryan's doing. Get yourself booked on some podcasts, join in on the fun. And you know why we're, uh, we're cheesing out so much on this. <laughs> yeah, no, please do. Yeah. Check it out. If you have an interest in going on podcasts, um, we're happy to, to direct you to the right place. Miles, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Cool. And that brings us to the end of our episode of Unseen Work. Please subscribe, rate, review this podcast so that we can continue to grow and spread our message. Be sure to hit up the links in the show notes for more details on the guests and our sponsors. And if you love this idea and this mindset of Unseen Work, Head on over to milesbiggs.com, that's M-Y-L-E-S-B-I-G-G-S.com for more info on the Unseen Work Mastermind community, where we put these interviews, these thoughts, these ideas into action and hold each other powerfully accountable in our unseen work. Remember, you have to do the unseen work so that when you are seen, you have something to show for it.